0: Going everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast. Your home for everything Colorado Avalanche on the Hockey Podcast Network, and sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. It's not quite time for the madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean that the fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players the chance to cash $100. New customers can bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week, and if your team makes it rain, you will cash $100. That's right, all it takes is for one three-pointer being hit by your chosen team to turn $1 into $100. That is an easy no-brainer. This slam dunk of an offer won't be around forever, so head to the App Store now Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and get in on all of the action. And if basketball isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook has daily odds on hockey, soccer, and so much more. There is a ton of NHL action coming up this week, and if you've been missing out on the action so far, it is never too late to get started. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its customers since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code THPN for new customers to get a shot at 100-to-1 odds on any basketball team to hit a three-point shot only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So we got three more games for the Colorado Avalanche in the books, and pretty polar opposites from start to finish, starting with a 6-2 loss to the Minnesota Wild, which I would consider to be the Avalanche's worst loss of the season, maybe outside of the season opener, but definitely after that I'd consider this to be their worst loss of the year. And then... Follow that up with two games against the Arizona Coyotes, a 3-2 win, and capped off with a 6-2 win over the Coyotes on Saturday, which I would consider to be one of the Avalanche's best games of the season. So I'm glad we got to have a little bit of a cushion between the Wild game and now, because I probably wouldn't have been very happy, I'll say, if I had to record right after that Wild game. The team looked just lethargic they ended up out shooting the wild it just ultimately didn't matter the defense was sloppy the wild were also just burning hot at that point they're still burning hot i believe they've won five or six in a row at this point they currently lead the west division out of nowhere i don't believe they lead in points percentage but in terms of just raw points they are they are ahead of vegas at the moment or no vegas won last night so vegas now is still in t- on top of the west division but minnesota just a point behind them with 24 points they are 12 and 6 but anyway i probably wouldn't have been very happy like i just said if i was recording after that wild game the team didn't look very good i'm not quite sure what the problem was but just it didn't click nothing really clicked at all i'd say one of the bright spots of the game was JT Comfer getting off the schneid and finally getting a goal. He deserved one because he'd been working hard and he's been the target of a lot of criticism and I'm not at all excluded from that. I have been very hard on JT Comfer lately and he's deserved it, but it was good to see him get a goal that ultimately didn't matter. This the third period in this game was I mean, how do you not call it one of the worst periods the Avalanche have played all season and In back-to-back games, where in that second period of that 3-0 loss to Vegas, Colorado gave up three goals in what was less than 10 minutes, needless to say, I and a few people were a little bit concerned. I wasn't freaking out, but obviously sports fans were unreasonable. I saw a portion of the fan base very, very unhappy with this team's performances as of late, but... As unsatisfied as I was with the game, I wasn't overly concerned with the team because everyone has bad losses in a season. I mean, look at St. Louis right now. St. Louis has had their share of bad losses. They lost back-to-back games to the Kings and they ended up winning this game, but they had a 7-6 game against the San Jose Sharks. You know, like when you compare it to some other team's bad losses Vegas has their share of bad losses too I mean it's gonna happen over the course of the season nothing really worked in this game and Minnesota was the better team in this one and they've been one of the better teams in the league as of late with Kirill Kaprasov who had an amazing play in this game to set up a goal in the third period Matt Zuccarello red hot for them as well he opened the scoring you know the game it wasn't totally out of reach until the third period the avalanche they were hanging around in there but you you could tell that Minnesota was going to win this game not even Philip Grubauer could have saved them in that one and You could tell the team was not happy with their showing in that game. You could tell it in the body language. You could tell from the post-game interviews. You could tell from interviewing Bednar. No one was happy with that performance because we know we are better than that, and it showed when the Avalanche showed up to play the Coyotes over the weekend on Friday and Saturday because they took these guys to school in these games. The Arizona Coyotes, frankly, had no business being in the in either of these games whatsoever, especially the first one. A 3-2 scoreline does not at all accurately reflect that game. The Avalanche dominated that game completely. Absolutely, completely dominated that game against Arizona. Arizona scored two goals in the final two minutes, and I think we need to talk about Hunter Miska and this whole backup goalie situation right now for the Avalanche because Hunter Miska went 58 minutes in this game allowing zero goals the Avalanche defense played very very well in front of him and he didn't face many shots in this game at all and towards the end of the game he's kind of fumbling around in the crease and Phil Kessel gets a goal under two minutes left really shouldn't matter at all at this point just, I believe, is over 90 seconds left, and Misca played this very, very badly. He stops an initial shot, and he is 10 feet outside of his net, and uh, there's no way Phil Kessel's not going to score there, and you could see that Hunter Misca was visibly rattled by that goal. Even though there's 90 seconds left, it is a two-goal game. The only thing lost was a shutout for him but he got up he's I've, I have not seen such obvious body language for a goalie that they were rattled and 30 seconds later he's trying to get to a, he's leaving his crease trying to get a puck outside of his net like that there is what are you doing why where are you going and luckily this one doesn't go in the net but he basically has it stripped from him and the coyotes keep the whole play alive and Drake Kajula gets on the board for the coyotes with his first goal as a member of Arizona and all of a sudden it's 3 to 2 with a minute left in regulation and Hunter Miska like he couldn't see it on camera but I'm I am certain he was trembling in net after this i mean yeah, the Avalanche, they played so well in this game, and ultimately they won. Spoiler alert, they won this game. They won it 3-2, to two. there were no empty net goals, Arizona did not score another one. They almost did, but ultimately, Colorado hung on, but it's, it's such a shame because Miska played all right in the first portion. Like I said earlier, he didn't face any challenges. I would say I I didn't really notice any particular save that was like, wow, Hunter Miska bailed us out on that one. So to see those two goals go in sucks for him because it would have been great to see him get a shutout in what was ultimately his first career win. And also, I didn't know this until a little while ago, against his former team, Arizona did not qualify him as an RFA and he signed with Colorado. So great for him that he got his first NHL win, very close to it being a shutout for his first NHL win. And if he just holds on for 96 more seconds, we're having a completely different conversation right now. It was like, okay, we looks like we have a backup right now. Hunter Misca can be up to the task. But instead, even even Jared Bednar was pointing out after games that he is not sure what Hunter Misca was doing here, and that is very, very bad news for Hunter Miska, because I just don't trust him. And listening to that Jared Bednar interview where he said, yeah, Hunter Miska played well for the 58 minutes of that game, not entirely sure what he was doing the final two minutes, I get the sense that Bednar doesn't trust him either. And that's not good, obviously. Philip Grubauer comes in the next night, plays very, very well, only lets in two goals. Arizona got more shots away. I think Colorado just was ultimately more comfortable to let more shots go. Philip Grubauer was definitely a lot more solid in net. You can tell the difference when Grubauer and Miska is in net. Hunter Miska is all over the place. And so when it comes to Miska, he's played three games so far this season. He has a loss to the Kings in his first no, not his first start. He has lost the Kings his first start of the season. Didn't look great in that one. And has another start against Minnesota and does not look good in that one either. Loses that game in overtime. So he's 0-1-1 on the season at that point. Then the whole COVID situation happens for the Avalanche and Grubauer gets five games in a row. Six if you count the the next minnesota game after the one they lost that they ultimately won that was the one without mckinnon so grubauer starts six straight games there's a week and a half break in between that stretch and Miska doesn't play a game for almost a month he comes in against arizona the team definitely showed up a lot better in front of him and again just barely 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 holds on. I mean, the Avalanche in this game, coming into the third period, it was one to nothing. Miko Ranton had the power play goal to break his slump, and ultimately the power play slump also. The power play had been awful up to this point. Andre Burakovsky breaks his slump as well, getting on the board for the first time in ages. It seems like he had been ice cold lately, but he gets on the board to make it two nothing. Kale McCarr feeds Nazem Kadri to make it three nothing. Avalanche are in complete control of this game. Even without the goals, they were in complete control of this game. Arizona had had no answer until Hunter Miska kind of gave them one. And I, I hate putting the onus on the goalies. But in this case, this was the goaltending. Absolutely, 100% was the goaltending in this one. That the The fact that this game ended up being a one goal game. It was not a one goal game at all. So what do you do in this situation? Because we don't really have any other options unless you want to give Adam Warner a start. And like it, it seems like I mention this every episode, and it's just as true this one as it was last one. Pavel Francois is nowhere near coming back. We have no idea when it's going to be. It's just not going to be anytime soon. So your options are you stick with Hunter Miska, who has played three games for you and hasn't really looked great in any of them. You give Adam Werner a shot and see if there's anything there with that. Or you find another option from the outside right now, and there's really nothing right now. Or at least there was nothing. For today only, there is a shot to get an NHL-caliber goalie because the Minnesota Wild put Alex Staylock on waivers today. Now, Alex Staylock, if there was a match made in heaven for the Avalanches situation right now, it would be this guy. Alex Stalock, 33 years old, makes a little under 800000 against the cap, so we wouldn't be breaking the bank to go and get him. He ended up the Minnesota Wilds' starting goaltender last season when Devin, when Devin Dubnik ultimately sucked last year. Started 38 games and started in the uh, play-in round against Vancouver for the Wild. And he's been on IR for a little while. I'm not entirely sure what the problem is, but it's not LTIR, so I assume that he'll be back soon. But for the Wild, they have Cam Talbot and Kapilkakkanen right now who are working out very well for them, as we've talked about. The Wild are on a blistering streak right now. And Alex Stalock is on waivers at the moment. And should Colorado put in a claim for him? Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. They need to put in a claim. Alex Stalock, like I said... That's almost the perfect solution, is it not? You don't have to give up assets in a trade. You don't have to narrow down who's even on the trade block right now. He's coming down waivers. It's as soon as can be. It's an in division rival, so you're not help- You're not doing them any favors if you take Alex Staylock, which is just another reason to do it. But the problem is, is that waivers go in order of worst team to best and Alex Stalock is going to be a very attractive option on waivers. Me giving all this praise to Alex Stalock and being like yes, the Avalanche should get him is ultimately probably going to be the reason that they don't. Cuz there's going to be a lot of teams for Alex Stalock to get through before he reaches Colorado at all. Now Colorado In terms of points percentage is, I think, around 10th at the moment. So they're not at the top of the league. They're not going to be one of the last teams to get a shot at him. But Stalock is going to have to pass through teams like Ottawa and Detroit and Buffalo. That could be who ultimately takes him. San Jose, who obviously needs another goalie. There's a ton of teams here that definitely almost should take a run at stalock just because why not? So I don't know if he will ultimately get to Colorado, but there's no harm in putting in a claim for him. Like I said, I think that's the perfect solution. If for some reason you get lucky enough to get Alex Stalock off of way? Let me make one thing very clear. Alex Stalock is not a superstar. Alex Stalock is the third goalie in Minnesota for a reason. He got pushed out by Cam Talbot, who they signed in the offseason, and an up-and-coming Kapo Kakinen who is seemingly their goalie of the future. So he got pushed out by two better goalies. He's not a star. He's not going to compete for Grubauer's job or anything crazy like that. But he can back up the team. I just think he'll be much more capable than Hunter Miska right now. I don't want to dump on Hunter Miska too hard. I feel like I'm dumping on him too hard. Hunter Miska is 25 years old, undrafted, went unqualified by Arizona, and he played one NHL game before the season for Arizona and has played three games so far. He was decent. Actually, much more than decent. He was good for the Colorado Eagles in the AHL last season with a 924 in 26 games, but he just doesn't have the confidence to be an NHL goalie. Alex Stalock does. And if the Avalanche managed to pick up Alex Stalock off of waivers, I would just feel a lot more comfortable right now. Alex Stalock makes. Barely more than Hunter Misca right now, like sixty thousand dollars more, which is nothing against when it com- when it comes to a eighty one million dollars salary cap. Sixty thousand dollars is nothing. It's a lot of money to me, and it's probably a lot of money to you. But in terms of the salary cap, it's really not anything. And Hunter Misca is on an emergency loan right now. I'm not sure how much he ultimately counts against the cap right now. So maybe there might be a little bit of maybe a few moves that would have to be made for them to fit him. But I don't think it'd be anything drastic. I mean, if, if anything at all, even, I see no harm in putting in a claim. Just I don't think he gets to them because in this season where teams should have three goalies, two goalies on the roster and one on the taxi squad, He's just he's just not going to make it, I don't think. Go- like goalies I've never even heard of were getting claimed earlier this season and there hasn't been another goalie on waivers for weeks, I believe. It'd be I would be shocked if he actually falls to Colorado. I would also be shocked if nobody claims him at all. If he gets past Colorado, there's also going to be more teams that'll probably line up to get him. A team like Carolina, for example, would definitely not sneeze at the opportunity to get another goalie with their volatile situation at the moment. But I think if the Avalanche somehow get lucky enough to have him pass through all the teams below them in the standings and get him... I'm not sure... I should probably look into this, but I'm not sure how waivers work if it's based on points percentage or actual points. I would assume that it's based on points percentage right just because of the difference between games played i mean dallas has 16 games played and there are teams like there are teams like detroit who have played 23 and vancouver like 24 i would assume it's based on points percentage it wouldn't make any sense for it to be based on points so if it's based on points percentage the avalanche have to hope about 20 other teams don't take a run i mean even the teams just below them, a team like Edmonton, I mean, they, okay, here, actually here, Edmonton's a perfect example as to why it would make no sense for it to be based on points. Edmonton has 28 points right now, which is fourth in the league, but they've played 23 games, so they're they're at a 609 points percentage, which is below Colorado. In terms of the point standings, they're 11 spots ahead of them, and ter- I'm talking league standings here. But... In points percentage, they're below the avalanche. So this has to be based on points percentage, I would think. But Edmonton, they might take a run at another goalie. Their goaltending hasn't been great. Pittsburgh, depends how they feel about Casey DeSmith. Chicago might not hurt, even though they have Kevin Lankinen. Might need a better backup goalie, since they're seemingly better than anyone expected them to be. St. Louis, maybe. Like, you see what I mean? All I did was look at the five teams beneath Colorado in the standings, and I could make an argument that three of them should put in a claim, and there's a lot of other teams beneath that. I just don't see how he gets to them, but there's no harm in putting in a claim. You you gotta try. You gotta try to get him, and if you do, fantastic. If you don't, it's not the end of the world, and... You got to give Hunter Miska another shot. You can't just look at these games. I mean, he won the game. Ultimately, he won the game. He got the win. He's won one and one on the season. He he won one more NHL game than I will in my entire life. He's won more NHL games than probably everybody listening to this combined. That can never be taken away with him, but doesn't take away from I just don't feel very comfortable when he's in net. And it seems like the game plan changes when he's in net. And I don't think Jared Bednar is comfortable when he's in net. And obviously, you cannot play Philip Grubauer six straight games again. Obviously, there was a a week and a half break in between that. But looking ahead to March, and not even March, the rest of the season, there are no more two-day breaks until, I believe, April or not even that. Maybe the not none in April. There is not a two-day break until the end of April. And if you're playing Philip Grubauer, almost every night, this poor guy is going to be limping in and out of the arena. And God forbid something happens to him. God forbid something happens to Philip Grubauer, whether it's a freak injury or a wear and tear injury. You you need a plan here, and I don't know if Hunter Miska can be that plan. Looking at March, I mean, just the first week of March, starting on Monday the 1st until the 6th, you're playing four games. Now, counting, to, counting today that I'm recording this on Sunday, you have... Three days off and four games. Next week you have three games, then you have four games, then you have four games, and then the week after that, between March and April, you have four games. If Philip Grubauer is playing, let's just say, he plays San Jose twice and the Ducks for one half of the back-to-back, and then he's playing the next three games again, this guy's going to be exhausted. You need to be able to trust your backup goalie enough to play him every once in a while. Because the the other thing about this March schedule is that four of these games are against teams that I think are making the playoffs. And that is two games against Minnesota and two games against Vegas. And those aren't until the last two full weeks of the month. The first two weeks, you're playing the Sharks twice, the Ducks twice, the Coyotes twice, and the Kings twice. You should be able to win all all of those games. We've beaten up on the Sharks. The Ducks played us very close in the beginning of the season. They ended up winning one, but that was when the team was still figuring things out. You should be able to take it to the Ducks. Again, I'm st- I'm still concerned about that Ducks team, though. They played Vegas very well the other night, and they played us very closely. That Ducks team, it's not going to be an easy game, but you should be able to win both of them, at very least get three of four points out of that back-to-back then you're playing arizona again they don't match up to you. We've seen an entire playoff series of it and we saw over the weekend Arizona is not on our level. This is this is a team that we can very easily toss around. Arizona can beat up on the Blues. For some reason, the Coyotes are just the Blues' weakness. They play that 7-game series, that's ridiculous that that, that even happens. That 7-game series between them this season. But Arizona won that regular season playoff series 4 to 3. And then you play the Kings twice, which didn't like our games against them earlier in the season, but plenty of time has passed. So now is the time to be able to beat up on them again. They are cooling off now. They have been on a hot streak, but they had that streak broken against Minnesota. So anyway, getting back to my original point, I almost forgot about what I was talking about for a second, but Grubauer cannot be playing all of these games. If you don't trust Hunter Miska enough, to start him in a game against the Ducks or the Coyotes or the Kings, then you need to get someone else. And the, the constant argument is who? And that, oh, they just got to go get someone. That's not easy. I know. You know what? And that's also right. They're completely right. It's not easy to go get someone. Now, if they get Alex Stalock, that solves all the problems, or at least in theory it does. But I also completely agree with that. If you can't get Alex Stalock, there's not really a deal to be made. Right now, anyway, at least not until the trade deadline. Once the trade deadline rolls around, there will be there will be at least some teams selling a backup goalie, whether it would be the Ducks with Ryan Miller or t- whoever at that point. Take your pick. So, going back to Ducks for a second, if you can't get Alex Stalock, I think you're just going to have to stick with Hunter Miska, and I don't, I just don't know what to do with that because. He won the game against the Coyotes, and that's great. But it didn't really seem to increase anyone's trust with him. And I don't think Jared Bednar is going to be chomping at the bit to place him in another game. Like I said, I expect Grubauer to start both games against the Sharks and one against the Ducks, and Miska to start the other against the Ducks because it's a back-to-back. But... Does Miska get another game against Arizona? Does he get a game against the Kings? You gotta play him at some point. You can't. As great as Grubauer's been, my main concern with him this season is that he's playing so much. Hunter Miska has played three games. That's it. The Avalanche have played eighteen. Grubauer's played fifteen games already. Like that, that's not sustainable. Success. You In this league, you need two goalies. And I know we're screwed right now because François is out. And with Hunter Misca, he just hasn't been performing. But there's really no other option right now if <clears throat> Alex Stalock ultimately doesn't fall to them on waivers. But I think that's enough about the backup goaltending situation for the moment because with the way Grubauer is playing right now at least, He's going to get all the starts anyway. I mean, if if Fransos was healthy, I think he would have gotten maybe one or two or maybe three games more than Misko right now. It'd still be Grubauer's job, absolutely one hundred percent. But I'm gonna. I'm. I feel like I'm gonna say it every episode. I'm worried about wearing him out, and I don't know if you can wait until the trade deadline. I mean three-game sample size is not enough. Maybe Hunter Miska, after three games, gets comfortable. Maybe the next time he goes in, he just looks more solid. I don't even care if he wins the game. I care if he looks confident and he's stopping the pucks that he's supposed to stop and he stays in his net. That's all I ask. All I ask is that he just, put simply, doesn't fuck it up. He didn't it up against Arizona completely he almost did but he didn't that's all we need just enough to hold on and get a win behind this amazing offense I mean if the team doesn't show up in front of them and he plays well then I'll judge him fairly based off of that again like I said as long as he plays well I don't care if he wins the game or not All we need is just competent goaltending, and that's what he gave against Arizona, to be fair, and I'd say he gave it in his first game against the Kings, and like I said, three-game sample size is not enough, but it is something you have to watch very, very closely. His next game is very, very important, and I think he knows that, and Bednar knows that as well, and it's It's coming against the Ducks. He's going to be playing the Ducks in his next game. I would be stunned if Philip Grubauer does not start both games against the Sharks. He's going to get either the first game or the second game against the Ducks. He got the first game against Arizona in the back-to-back. I guess it just depends. So we'll see how he does in that one. I hope he does well. I hope we don't have to go out and get a temporary solution because eventually Pavel François is going to be back. We don't know when, obviously, like there's literally no update outside of week to week. I assume it's almost month to month at this point. But let's just say for the sake of conversation that he's not back until late April. So you still got over a month and a half without him. And the trade deadline, I don't remember when it is off the top of my head, but it is, I believe, mid-April, just a a little bit before the playoffs, which... Following my completely made-up timetable for Franco's would be around the same time. So you might just have to stick with it with Hunter Miska, unless he is just completely unbearably bad and is costing the team games in his next two starts. You're just going to have to gut it out. If you don't get Staylock, you you just got to gut it out. Alex Staylock, just, just for one more thing on this conversation before I move on, now that I've said all of that out loud, Alex Stalock is the only chance, I would say, for this team to get a reasonable backup goaltender while Francos is out. If they don't get him, I don't see how it's anybody else, unless another goalie gets put on waivers, which I I can't predict, I can't see if teams are putting goalies on waivers almost past the 25% mark of the season. I would be very, very, rare. I'm surprised Minnesota's doing it. I guess there's a reason for it, but you're just going to have to stick with it with Hunter Miska. But moving on from Hunter Miska now, he won the game. The Avalanche won this game. This two-game stretch against Arizona is probably some of the most cathartic results I've seen in a while, not just because the Avalanche were on a two-game losing streak, but because of who was scoring the goals so many slumps were broken in these two games it was incredible to see you can barely even keep up with it all in the first game miko rantanen scores the power play goal and scores his first goal in seemingly forever at least before the covid break he was at one point he was sco- he was going to break the avalanches all-time goal streak and I think he got close. I don't think he ended up tying for first or he might have, but he didn't break it. But he was on a ridiculous hot streak and then he was silent. I didn't I had nothing to say about him against Vegas, which is not good for a player making his salary and for our expectations of him. I didn't notice him against Minnesota. I mean, he he picked up a couple assists. I don't want to dunk on him too hard and be like, "Oh, he was ineffective. He got a couple assists, especially on some McKinnon goals, but he wasn't scoring, which is what we pay him to do, and he just wasn't doing a whole lot. And on this power play, he goes to the net, puts his stick down, and just bangs it in, and breaks out of the slump. The power play gets back on the board. Thank God. And you could see after this, he was just playing with A lot more confidence, I would say. And speaking of confidence, the next goal in this game came from the player on this team who I would say is most driven by confidence and has been throughout his career and has been on a very noticeably bad cold streak, Andre Burakovsky, who coming into this game, I felt in my bones that he was going to score. I tweeted it that he was going to score, and he did. Because I know my guy. I followed him a lot when he was in Washington, and I follow him very closely, obviously, here in Colorado. I know my guy, and I know when he's due to score. I did not have that feeling in any of the games before this. And he came out of the gates in this game flying. He almost had a goal in the first period, multiple goals in the first period. Eventually, his goal does come on just... When I think of Andre Burakovsky, I think of this exact play. He's coming up the middle. He gets a drop pass. There's no chance for a defenseman to get in his way and block the shot. He has time to wind up, and there is no chance that a goalie can save this perfectly placed of a shot as it goes top corner. Aiden Hill does his best, but it is liter- It is literally, and I'm not exaggerating, literally the perfect spot in the corner. It doesn't go under his foot under Hill's forearm it doesn't glance off his glove he misses it completely because it's just inside the post it doesn't hit the post it just narrowly avoids the post and that is just the picturesque Andre Burakovsky goal it's what he does best and now that he's gotten back on the board he just looks a lot better it's it's almost like he decides when he's good and when he's not because You could just tell out of the gates, like I said earlier, that he was going to score a goal in this game just because of the way he was skating, the way he was passing, and the way he was shooting. It's just, it's crazy with him sometimes. He just turns it on, and then he's unstoppable. And then in the the next night against Arizona, he picks up two assists. So three points in two games, now he's back on the board. He's just such a bizarre player to watch sometimes. When he's at his best, I mean, you can make the argument he's one of the the better players on this team. And at, at very least, one of the better shooters on this team. I'd say really, I'd say at least third. I mean, Nathan McKinnon has a lethal, lethal shot. And Miko Rantanen has an amazing shot. When it comes to pure just snapshots, I think no one does it better than Burakovsky. It's just... He needs to have a bit more consistency. Now now he's got a goal. Now he's got three points in these two games. And if I know my guy, he's probably going to score another goal in this two-game two, two game series against the Sharks coming up and probably another one against the Ducks and look like he's back. But at some point, he's probably also going to drop back off again. What we need to avoid with him now is we can't have this drop-off anymore where he doesn't score for eight games. I mean, you don't have to score every night. You don't even have to score every other night. But even if you're not scoring, you need to look effective, and you need to at least be coming close. When Burakovsky hits his slumps, he defers the puck. He starts deferring the puck when he goes a few games without a goal, and that's what takes a three- or four-game slump to an eight-game slump is when he has beautiful scoring chances, but he's not quite sure he's going to get it. And in the split-second decisions he makes in his mind, he's not confident enough in his ability to do it. So he gives it to Kadri or Saad, or when he was up on that top line against Vegas, he gives it to McKinnon or Rantanen. But when he's scoring, he shoots. I mean, you could see it once he scored the goal, or even before he scored the goal, he was taking shots from the point because there was no one in the way. I mean, he was playing exactly the way you want him to. So I'm not saying he needs to score a goal every single night, but even in these cold streaks, you just got to look effective. That's all all we're asking anymore. He's not young. He's not 23 anymore and still figuring it out on the bottom six in Washington. We need him to be a second-line player on this team. And when he's at his best, he's a first-line player, I'd say, on most teams, just not this one because we have one of the best top lines in the league, obviously. We just need more consistency out of him. I'm, I'm going to be watching him now, now that he's back on the board very closely, and just see if he can keep it up. Because I really hope he can, and this team needs him to. You can you can almost feel like a weight coming off this team's shoulders when he scores. Because oh, there it is. There is some scoring that's not coming from the same three or four players, and it was it, that was ultimately a pattern that would follow throughout the rest of of this series against Arizona next goal of this game comes from Nazem Kadri who was not on a slump he scored a goal against Minnesota but I would say that this goal proved that Kadri is here and he's here to stay that early season struggles are gone he's gonna be scoring consistently and showing up just about every single night so while he didn't break a slump I would say this was a great sign that he is showing a lot more consistency. And, oh boy, this feed from Kale McCarr was ridiculous. And, oh man, I can't believe I've gone this long without mentioning Kale McCarr. He's out. He's not going to be playing this upcoming road trip against the Sharks. And he did not play on Saturday against the Coyotes with a lower body injury. He is day to day. And I'm not sure what the problem is. I'm not sure if it's the same problem or a different problem, but it's definitely a little frustrating because this team got healthy, and it seems like, okay, now we're ready to get rolling. We've got everybody back except for Frantzos and Eric Johnson. And Kale McCarr comes back from missing a little bit against Vegas and plays well, ultimately plays well. Didn't play great against Minnesota, but played well in the game against Arizona. And now he's gone again. So hopefully everything's, it seems like he's okay for the most part. It's obviously nothing serious. Maybe they just played him a little too early and he reaggravated it again. Also, I want to address one of my biggest pet peeves is when people call someone fragile or injury prone. Here, here's my response to that. Shut up. Oh my god like that's that is one of the most insufferable things you can say as a sports fan calling someone like fragile or injury prone okay yes kale mccarr on two separate occasions has had to miss a game to a lower body injury you do not know the scenario behind that hockey players are tough guys kale mccarr is no exception for him to be missing games on two separate occasions in just about the span of a week probably means that he's in a lot of pain maybe he took a shot off his skate maybe there's a broken bone in his foot do you know what's going on you don't that just it gets every time I saw that that comment a few times once it was announced that Kale McCarr would not be playing like oh injury prone oh man this team is soft this team oh they're soft they're injury prone. Yes, I get the frustration, but my God, injury prone is not just like a trait. These guys are not robots. He doesn't just have like the negative traits of injury prone. We don't know what happened. Like, do you, are you happy we have this guy or not? Players get hurt sometimes. It happens. I I just hate the word injury prone or fragile. That's your first reaction to seeing someone missing a game due to an injury. Like, oh, man, this guy really inconveniencing me by missing this game. What a fragile guy. I hate that. It gets on, it just gets on my nerves so much. But McCarr ultimately misses the Saturday game against the Coyotes and is going to miss the next two games against the Sharks at least. And then we'll see if he plays in the upcoming back-to-back against the Ducks. But hopefully he's back. I think... You can tell something's nagging at him a little bit. He just hasn't looked the same since before the the COVID pause. Because obviously I was standing on top of the mountains singing the praises for Kale McCarr and just how good he's been, and deservedly so. He was one of the best players in the league up to that point. It's just something just seemed a little bit off. Yes, he had some really sick teaks against Vegas, but just seemed a step slow, and I don't know if that's the same thing with the injury he has right now or if those things are at all correlated, but I do hope that he takes his time at least coming back and doesn't rush back. I want a 100% healthy Kale McCarr. We, like, we don't we don't need Kale McCarr coming up. The, the playoffs are not starting tomorrow. We have the upcoming six games are against the Sharks, Ducks, and Coyotes. Kale McCarr is not a necessity to be back in the lineup for those games. Yes, it would be great to have him because he's one of the best defenders in the league and the best defender on this team. But Gerard Tays—they're—they're they're more than capable of at least. Holding the fort for a few games. I mean, it's not a long-term injury. This is this is something you can survive. So hope, hopefully he does come back against the Ducks, but he is going to be missing the upcoming two games. But moving on from Kale McCarr now, I was talking about Kadri getting that goal to make it 3-0. And Arizona buries two pass Hunter Misca. We talked enough about that. Colorado holds on to win the game. Three to two, and then we move on to I think one of the better games of the Avalanches season so far, the six to two win over the Arizona Coyotes. Now, first period wasn't great, but when you have Nathan McKinnon, sometimes it doesn't matter if you don't play your best. Cause he snipes on Auntie Ronto. Just no wind up on the shot, just in a split second, he goes from skating to shooting with a snapshot. And in the next split second, the puck's in the net. What do you do as Auntie Ronti? You don't, you don't do anything about that. There's no stopping that. You don't stop that goal from going in. That's just Nathan McKinnon being Nathan McKinnon and being one of the best players in the league and the Avalanche escape. What was ultimately a better period for the Coyotes with a 1-0 lead and Coyotes missed their chance because Colorado ran away with this one, especially late. The next goal for the Avalanche came from Jacob McDonald on a wraparound goal. You know, as it happens, (laughs) no one saw that coming. Jacob McDonald, good to see him get on the board at all. I mean, emergency loan right now, his first career goal at 28 years old, undrafted player i mean only his sixth nhl game actually i'm wrong about that he scored a goal in florida in one of the two games he played in 2018-19 but this is his first goal as a member of the avalanche that's right so he's played seven career games and he's got two goals so great to see him get on the ball i didn't i would never even have noticed if jacob mcdonald never scored a goal i never would have complained if he didn't but to see that and especially on a rapper i mean jacob mcdonald really likes to jump up into the rush and auntie ranta just couldn't get back to the post in time for this one and ultimately good for him it was great to great to see i mean who doesn't love seeing those goals like obviously it's great to see a mckinnon score a goal and see him just be ridiculous or see Kadri or Rantanen score. It's fun to see, like, a Jacob McDonald score a goal every once in a while. And for it to not just be lucky, like, not just, like, he took a shot from the point and it deflected off five people and he gets credit for the goal. Like, charges up into the play, stays with the puck the whole time, and beats Auntie Ranta back to the post for his second career goal. I love that. That's great. And he's played well. I've actually been impressed by Jacob McDonald. He's taken full advantage of some of the injuries that this team has had on the back end. He wouldn't be playing if Eric Johnson and Kale McCarr were healthy. But ultimately, he is, and he's he's taken advantage of it. Ultimately, this is his first point. But when it comes to defensemen, points don't, especially a defenseman like Jacob McDonald, points don't matter with him. Getting a goal from him is just icing on the cake. He's played well. I really can't point out a time that really he played poorly. I can't name a a turnover that he had or really anything of that nature. He's just played solid third-pairing hockey. And for him to get on the board as well, even better. I mean, two goals in eight career games. So I wouldn't exactly call him a slump. But I'd, I'd still lump him into that category just because it's, it's good to see. I mean, he might not score another goal for the rest of his career. So moving on from Jacob McDonald, the Avalanche, they did not stop when it came to breaking slumps in this game. It seemed like everyone was poised to score a goal in this one against the Coyotes. I mean, we like I said, earlier, we just really run the Coyotes recently. I mean... I can't believe I've gone this long without even bringing up that we beat them 7-1 to in back-to-back games in the playoffs. I don't think I even need to bring that up. But the next goal came on the power play again from Gabe Landeskog, who really, really needed one. He hadn't... i I, Off the top of my head, I can't remember the last goal that Gabe Landeskog scored, and I feel bad, but I can't remember. His fourth goal of the season, another power play goal, a power play with goals in two straight, which is... Great to see after it was struggling hard against Vegas. And then after that, Jonas Donskoy gets on the board. Tyson Jost finally gets on the board, his first goal of the season. Outside of Jacob McDonald, I feel best about that. Tyson Jost, despite his lack of points this season, has been working very, very hard. And it's noticeable that he's working very, very hard. He hasn't gotten rewarded for it. He had one assist coming into tonight, and everyone's just kind of writing him off. He's on the fourth line. You can almost really even assume that he's not even going to be on the team next year. If you're looking at the expansion draft or just some moves that the team has to make, great to see him just snipe a goal here. His first... Of the season, and hopefully that can kickstart him a little more. I mean, it's never a bad thing to have too much depth scoring. And the final goal this game an empty net goal for Pierre Edward Belmar, his first of the season as well. I mean, Belmar's been through a bit this season, that brutal knee injury he had that knocked him out for a few games there. He had no points coming into this game at all. Great to see him get rewarded for what... He has a thankless job, really, on this team. Fourth-line center. I mean, you look at the ages on this team. He sticks out like a sore thumb. I mean, Rantanen, 24. McKinnon, 25. You got a bunch of 28-year-olds, 25. Comfort, Jost is 22. And then you got Belmar at 35. Like, he has a thankless job on this team, like I said. He's not going to get really thanked for the the leadership that he brings and the stability that he brings into the bottom six. So it's great to see him get rewarded with a goal as well. And ultimately, that wrapped it up against Arizona. Four points in back-to-back nights, 2-0. Solid win all around. I really liked this game against Arizona. It could have just been the second half of a back-to-back you know, oh, it's the NHL, and Arizona gets some bounces. No, Colorado didn't give them the, that opportunity at all. Obviously, Arizona made it 1-1 after the Nathan McKinnon goal early in the second period, but outside of that, they didn't have a shot in this one. Clayton, It was late in the second period for Clayton Keller to get on the board there, and Jacob McDonald put him ahead, and they stayed ahead up until the end. Johan Larson got a, a goal to make it 5-2. Late in the third period, it really didn't even matter at all because the empty net goal got the same deficit back. That will count towards the goal differential, really, at the end of the day. And when you compare that game to the Minnesota game, almost polar opposites of each other. I mean, you obviously, you look at the score. It was a 6-2 loss versus a 6-2 win, but they did not play well against Minnesota. They let Minnesota play their game, and the Avalanche... They didn't even try to really answer Minnesota's game. Like, they, they didn't even play Minnesota's game. They just let Minnesota play their own game for the most part. And it was rare to see Philip Grubauer lose a game, especially give up that many goals. But it wasn't at all his fault. And then you have this game against Arizona. It's just everything's clicking. Everything was rolling. You got your all of your top guys producing. You had Rantanen scoring the game before. You have McKinnon scoring in this one, and then Landeskog scoring in this one. Then you have a bunch of your depth guys getting on the board. You got Donskoy, Jost, Belmar, Jacob McDonald. I mean, what more could you want out of a performance like that? The defense looked very, very good, even without Kale McCarr and Eric Johnson. I like the direction this team is heading in at the moment. I think that's what I'll say right now. I like how they're looking. And looking ahead to March like we've already done, now is the time to start banking points and not only competing for first, but I'd say start to put some distance. I'm not saying you're going to pull ahead of Vegas or anything like that, but we're still kind of waiting for this team to really start to break out. I know points percentage and oh, points percentage, but in points percentage, we are now third because Minnesota is banking points right now. I mean, you look at their last 10, they're seven and three, and they've won six in a row. And you look at ours, we're six, three, and one. So, really, only one overtime loss behind the wild, but they're ahead of us right now. They've played 18 games, and so have we, and they're one point ahead of us. So, now is the time to not only get into that first spot, but pull away with it. Vegas, they're a very, very good team and they're going to be competing with us for that first place spot, but they've been in first for pretty much the whole time. And we've been waiting for the team to really start to bank some points and start competing for first. And we're waiting and waiting and waiting and I don't want it to be April and we're still waiting. Because looking at this schedule, there's no excuse not to be. You should win both games against the Sharks. You should be able to beat the Ducks. You just proved that the Coyotes cannot match you. The Kings, while they look good, you are a better team. And you've got, looking at seven, nine games before you play the Wild, then you play Arizona, sandwiched in between a matchup against Vegas later in the month. So you really should start... Banking a lot of points here. I mean, if Minnesota is going to cool off eventually, you should win those games too. And you should win at very least one against Vegas. At very least, there should be no doubt that this team is going to have a home playoff series in the first round. Because, like I've said plenty of times, we're going to be going toe to toe with Vegas for, I think, down to the very, very end of the season. And St. Louis is, they're stumbling right now. I don't think they are in that same tier as us anymore. Minnesota's on their way up, but I think they're just on a hot streak and they, they'll they come crashing back down to earth at some point. I think they're in for the most part. I think they'll make the playoffs. But St. Louis, they're struggling right now. Bennington hasn't looked great. Their goaltending's not great. Their defense hasn't been very solid. I wouldn't put them in the same tier as us in Vegas right now, but again they're hanging around with us points wise i mean you look at our season right now we're 11 and 7 and that's not great it do, it doesn't scream this team is the stanley cup favorite coming into the season record and i'm not at, i'm not at all upset about it but if this pace continues i am going to start to get annoyed you've had you had a tough stretch where you had to deal with a pause after playing Minnesota, and then play four games against Vegas, play a red-hot Minnesota team, and now you've played two games against a team that cannot match you, and you put them in their place. And now you need to do that for pretty much two and a half weeks against these other teams. Honestly, like, one, one loss I would be fine with. Even two losses would be pushing it at this. Nine games... You got 18 points up for grabs. I mean, coming out of that with really anything less than 16 points, I don't know if I'd be very happy with. A losing streak at all here would just not be good enough. I mean, expectations have to kick in at some point. You can't, you cannot lose these points to these teams. You know, you're probably going to split your season series against Vegas. We'll see if St. Louis can bounce back, and Minnesota's played us very tough. We'll see how that season series goes, but... Against Arizona, you should be beating them badly. Against San Jose, they should not be able to stop your offense. Arizona, they cannot begin to match your offense. John Gibson might be able to make saves, but they cannot match your offense. Arizona, like I've said probably a hundred times, cannot match you. These are all two points that you need to be able to take, and I like the performances against Arizona, and if those are an indication of how this team is going to perform... In this coming month, I like where this season is going. You need to start banking points. Is ultimately my point here. There's no there's no excuse not to. You're primarily healthy. McCar's going to be back in two games. It seems. We're not sure about Johnson or Francos, but that's basically been the entire season. We know what this team is now. There's no rust to shake off. There's no systems to be put in place anymore. Now's the time. Now's the time to take first and grab it and be the Stanley Cup favorite team that we are supposed to be. But I think that is going to do it for me today on this edition of the Tell It, Avs It Is podcast. Thank you all so very much for listening once again. There is no show without you guys, and I really do appreciate it. Follow me on Twitter at G Young's NHL and follow the show at Tell It, as it is. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs, and I will catch you all next time.